Well, it's a great joy to be with you this morning. I'm going to read from the resurrection story from John chapter 20, um, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, and I'll focus the sermon really on the back half of the reading, which is the encounter with Mary, the interaction with Mary. Um, Thanks for your patience regarding my microphone. All right, here we go. John chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this holy day, and we pray that you will send your Spirit, who is our teacher, to speak to us, even in the deepest and most protected corners of our hearts. We pray these things in the name of the Word made flesh. Amen. Well, I I wonder if any of you, especially the kids, I wonder if any of you spotted uh, an Easter bunny this morning. I mean, I don't mean like the real, like the Easter bunny. I just mean, did you happen to see a rabbit in your yard today? Um, You know, in the morning time is the best time of day to try to 
catch a rabbit, and I always try to find a rabbit on Easter, and that's what I call the Easter Bunny. Any rabbit you see on Easter is the Easter Bunny. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to love the stories of Br'er Rabbit, who was the trickster rabbit, who was always uh, tricking and outwitting Br'er Fox in order to get away. <clears throat> I felt like such a fool when I was in college, and I learned the real story about Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox. I, I thought that Br'er Rabbit was, was just a fuzzy, furry little children's c- character. But then I learned that actually Br'er Rabbit represented the way in which uh, slaves in America used trickster qualities to outwit their mean slaveholders in order to survive and to get food. And so I realized when I learned that that I had sort of been colluding with a domesticated reading of Uncle Remus's uh, collection. Why do I mention this today? I say this because I think that oftentimes we're tempted to do something kind of similar with the Easter story. We see a garden, an empty tomb, a woman, and we think what a beautiful, timeless fable about loss and grief and recognition and joy and faith. But the Easter story is not a timeless fable. It's an historical event, and it's saying one thing very, very clearly, that all of the promises of the Old Testament, all the promises of the Hebrew Scriptures have come true in this moment. And for the next few minutes, I just want to describe how and why it matters for our lives on this Easter morning. There are two great themes in the Old Testament, and the first of those two great themes is the theme of covenant. You remember the people of God, they were slaves in Egypt, and by the, 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 the blood of the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea, God set them free. And they made their way, starting to make their way into the wilderness, and they camp at Mount Sinai. And it was at Mount Sinai that God establishes a covenant with them. And this covenant is symbolized in two tablets of stone known as the Ten Commandments. And what they did was they took these two tablets and they created a large ark or like a coffin type thing. And they carried these, these tablets around in what was called the Ark of the Covenant. Well... Eventually, they were able to build a temple in Jerusalem, and they housed the Ark of the Covenant there. And the people of God always knew that they could go there to be reconciled with God and renew their covenant with Him. But in the 6th century BC, the city was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and the Ark of the Covenant was taken away, and uh, the people of God were sent into captivity in Babylon. And while they were in Babylon, in captivity, they pondered their plight, and they wondered if maybe God would come and rescue them again with a new exodus and maybe a new covenant. But they also, when they were in exile, they also looked even further back in their history and they, developed, and they uh, discovered another theme. And that theme was the theme of creation. 
And so the, the liberator God who set them free is also the creator God who created not only just them, but all the peoples, all the ethnos, all the nations, and in, in fact, the whole universe. And so the power of Old Testament faith, the power of Hebraic faith, lies at the intersection of these two great themes of covenant and creation. So now let's look at what happens when Mary comes to the tomb on Easter morning. What does she see? Two things. First, she looks into the tomb, and it says that she sees two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. That's a pretty direct indicator that what Mary is looking at as she is looking into the tomb is a new Ark of the Covenant. Because the, the original Ark of the Covenant in the temple had two angels or two seraphim, one at the head and the other at the feet. So what we've got here is a clear indication that Mary is looking at a new covenant. Second, she enters into conversation with a person who she takes to be the gardener. Think for a moment back to the creation story in the book of Genesis. What does it focus in on? One man, one woman in a garden. And in case we don't get it, John points out that this took place on the first day of the week, which is a heavy nod to the creation story. And so when Mary meets the risen Jesus, as the readers, we're supposed to read this and go, Behold, a new covenant, a new creation. The empty tomb is a new covenant, and the risen Lord is a new creation. Behold, all the promises that we have been longing for and waiting for for thousands of years have come true. But we still don't know why this matters, right? Like, so what? What does this have to do? Good thing, creation, new covenant, new creation. What about 2,000 years later for me on Easter morning? Well, in a fabulous moment of irony uh, that's so profound, you don't know whether it's tragedy or comedy, Mary um, sees Jesus and the risen Jesus who's embodying this new covenant and this new creation turns to her and says, whom are you looking for? Well, obviously, she's looking for Jesus. You can feel the irony of this question. Jesus is whom Mary is looking for. Jesus is whom Israel is looking for. Jesus is the trickster rabbit who has outwitted the Romans and the Jerusalem leaders and who has pulled a fast one on sin and death and estrangement. Uh, and even gets time to play this gentle little trick on Mary before the celebrations begin. He asks her, whom are you looking for? And as the readers who um, know what's coming next, it makes us feel pretty clever, pretty sophisticated, because we, after all, are so much more perceptive than Mary because we know exactly who she's looking for. Until, of course, the question then gets turned onto us. Whom are you looking for? Whom are you looking for on this Easter morning? Well, I'm going to make a guess, and I'm going to suggest that each of us come to this garden with two hopes in our hearts. And the first hope is to make good on what we already have. It's to 
Uh, it's to seek to restore our fragile relationships, um, to find a path of truth-telling and forgiveness and reconciliation with family members, with friends, with neighbors, with strangers, and even with enemies, and to do the same thing with God. I think that's our first hope, is to make a new covenant with God and our neighbor that makes it possible for us to heal the mistakes of the past, to find new life, and to turn strangers and, en and enemies into friends and companions. Are you interested in making a new covenant with God today? The first Greek word that I learned in seminary was this tiny little word called luo, transliterated L-U-O, luo. Um, the reason it was the first word that we learned was because it was so easy to conjugate. And the word luo means to loose, like to loose the ties of a donkey or to loose the yoke of an oxen, an experience of which I've not had the pleasure. Uh, there's other places in the New Testament where it's used as well, like when Jesus raises Lazarus. You remember what he told the disciples? He said to the disciples to unbind him and let him go. That's luo. And then in Revelation, luo is used when describing Jesus, him who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Freed is luo. Freed is luo, to loose, to unbind, to set free. Well, in our passage for today, you might have remembered when Jesus said to Mary, do not cling to me. And I'm reminded of this word luo and Jesus' command to unbind Lazarus and let him go. Why does Jesus say, do not cling to me? Because the resurrection is about letting go. It's about following Jesus when you cannot see him, but you can only hear his voice. And this is why Mary didn't recognize Jesus. She thought he was the gardener when she looked at him. It was probably still dark, pretty dark out. But when she heard him call her by name, when he said, Mary, because the good shepherd knows his sheep, he calls them by name, they hear his voice, and they recognize him. But Jesus looses us from the threat of death. He looses us from sickness, from exile from estrangement and sin. He's in the loosing business. Jesus is in the loosing business. That's the message of Easter. He looses us. He makes us sore. He helps us fly. He sets us free. He lets us run. He lets us live. He sets us on our feet again. And our response to the good news of Easter is to learn to let go. This is part of what it means to renew our covenant with God. To let go of our own sin in the first place, to permit God in Christ to forgive us, We've, we have a much harder time forgiving ourselves than God does offering forgiveness to us, but to allow ourselves to not be defined by the dreadful things that we have done or the regretful things of the past, but to be defined by the wondrous things that God has done in Jesus Christ. And in letting go of our sin, to let go of the sins that others have done to us, to recognize that even those who have hurt us come with a backlog of their own wounds, um, many of which were not caused by them. And so to make a fundamental choice to not see ourselves as a victim, but as a child of grace. 
and in letting go of our bitterness and uh, to let go of our very life itself. Not to cling so tightly to our life to make sure that it's just the way we have to have it or to make sure that it extends as far as possible or as long as possible, but to let go of our life, to allow God to use it, to play with it, to enjoy it. We talk about how our calling is to know God and to enjoy Him forever, but do we allow God to enjoy us and our life, to play with it, to use it for however long or however short He desires? And in letting go of our life, to let go of one another's lives, First, that, that means letting go of trying to control other people's behaviors. Most, for most of us, that would be our spouses, I think. Um, but in also in letting go of one another's lives, that we face, we face the loss of loved ones, not with a vice-like grip of possession, but we let them go, release them back in, into the care of God with gentleness and gratitude and mercy. And that also involves the hard work of learning to forgive God for taking these precious lives away from us. Do not cling to me, Jesus says, because I have come to loose you. I have come to let you go. This is the half of the good news of Easter. But the other half of the good news of Easter is that God is wholly committed to us, to each one of us, to his whole creation, that he, he keeps his promises to restore us to life and keep us in his company forever. And that leads to what I think is the second hope that we have on Easter morning. The second hope is to discover something we've never known before, a whole new world, a completely new life. If you were here a few weeks ago about coming out of the cave and into new life in a new world that is beyond the fear of death, beyond the limitation of our mortal bodies, beyond the fragility of our decaying world. There's a deep hope that gives us new life in the world and a joy that is not based on circumstances. So that's our further hope, to find a new creation that makes it possible for us to live with God forever. And that's what we're given in a sincere relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in the end, the paradox, the good news of the Christian gospel is, is, lies in the paradox of this tiny word, luo. Because on the one hand, our deepest delight is that God sets us free. And on the other hand, our greatest hope is that God never lets us go. And that's the promise of Easter. E. Stanley Jones was a great Methodist minister in the 20th century, and he tells this story about a little boy who made a toy sailboat. He was in New York City, and he made this, this beautiful little toy, toy sailboat. Um, try saying toy boat five times. Toy boat, toy, yeah. Good luck with that. And, and, and he brought it. He was in New York City. He went to Central Park, and there was Central Park Lake there in New York City. It's real beautiful, right? And he puts the boat into the lake, and apparently the boat was way better at sailing than it was at steering. And so off it went into the wind, into the middle of the lake and, and beyond, and the boy couldn't get it, get it back. He was so sad. He was crushed. He was devastated. And he had to leave and go home without the boat. Well, a couple days later, he was walking down West 57th 
Street, and he walked by a pawn shop, and there in the window of the pawn shop was his little toy sailboat. And so he walked into the pawn shop, and he said to the owner, uh, he said, uh, I want to buy that, that boat. I want to buy that sailboat in the window. And the owner said, well, it's going to cost you this much money. And the boy said, okay, don't, don't sell it. Whatever you do, don't sell it. Um, save it for me because I'm going to go home and get my allowance money, and I'm going to come back and buy it. So the boy runs home. He gets his allowance money. He comes back, and he buys the little boat. And, and he's so excited, and he's so happy. He's got his boat back, and he's got it in his hands, and he walks out of the store, and he looks at the boat, and he says, little boat, you're mine now for two reasons. Because I made you and I bought you. Friends, that's the message of Easter. That God made you and in Jesus Christ he has bought you back. This is new creation and new covenant. Aren't these our two most profound longings? For a healed past and a wondrous future? Aren't we yearning for a new covenant and a new creation? Aren't we deep down just like the Israelites, longing for the promises to come true? Aren't we like Mary, looking for the risen Lord? Well, the good news is that Mary turned around and she recognized Jesus. And when she looked at Jesus, she knew that she was staring at a new covenant and a new creation. Here's the good news. So are you. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks on this great day that the promises have come true. God, we long for healing in our lives. And we thank you that because of the resurrection, you have brought healing to our past, that you have forgiven us. Help us to forgive ourselves and help us step into new life and new creation. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.